Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jay Ryan Stradel is the author of Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club, a novel. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, winner of the American Booksellers Association Indies Choice Award for Adult Debut Book of the Year, the Southern California Independent Booksellers Association Award for Fiction, and the Midwest Booksellers Choice Award for Debut Fiction. The Lager Queen of Minnesota, his second novel, was an instant national bestseller, won at the 2020 Willa Award for the year's best contemporary fiction, and was a finalist for the 2020 Heartland Booksellers Award. Born and raised in Minnesota, he now lives with his family in California. Welcome to Jay Ryan. Thank you so much for being here to discuss Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club, your latest novel. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure. Uh, would you mind telling listeners what 
your book is about. Yeah, it's a multi-generational story set in a northern Midwestern restaurant, four generations, mostly women, telling the story of a restaurant that gets passed from generation to generation through a single family. And where I'm from in northern Minnesota, it's not unusual. I'm sorry, I'm from southern Minnesota, but books set in northern Minnesota. There are restaurants called supper clubs that are quite often up to 100 years old or older who have, that have stayed in the same family the entire time or maintained family ownership. And I always wanted to write about them. I worked in one as a teenager and uh, got in my veins. And, <laughs> and now I finally got to write about it. <laughs> Did you cover everything you needed to cover about it? <laughs> or are you still... I, I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> got yeah. it out of your system. Yeah. 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 I don't think I'm going to be the Robert Caro of separate clubs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I was reading the beginning of your book, you wrote in so much, with such emotional authenticity about the miscarriage and how it felt in the bathroom, in the bar, like what that whole moment was like that I literally, and I was like, I could have sworn that he was a man, but that I literally like flipped to the back and I was like, no, no, it's the same person I'm thinking of just to make sure. Cause it felt just so like, you know, you were just inside of anyway, not that, not that the emotions behind a miscarriage do not also happen to any gender, but it just felt so specific. So anyway, I was hoping you could just talk about that and sort of writing into that and, and your own experiences. I know you mentioned in the acknowledgements of, of your own, you know, child journey. Absolutely. Yeah. We had an incredible uh, fertility battle, my partner, Brooke and I, and along the way, you know, miscarriages and miscarriages of, you know, IVF and planted embryos, which is devastating, even though we were told kind of like the first one, like, you know, cross your fingers, but don't expect it. It's still, yeah. I mean, it was a immense physical and emotional strain for her that I had a front row seat for, and I shared the emotional strain. It felt like I don't know how to describe it. It's <laughs> it was it was I, I, it was absolutely devastating. I mean, at one point we actually kind of had a ceremony to let go of the memory and expectations that we had around one of the embryos that had you know made it more than a couple of weeks and went up to Pismo Beach, which is which at the time was a place that was we went to a lot when we wanted to get out of the city and and like wrote a letter to the embryo and burned it and scattered the ashes in the ocean. <laughs> so it was a, it was a, a like a really intense emotional journey for us and I, I as a man I had never read a man writing about infertility or miscarriages in fiction at least not in a way that I I don't well actually not at all but 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 certainly not in a way that I identified with emotionally that like this is an this is an emotional component, not a plot element. And, and that was very important to me. This is not something that happens to move the story forward. This is something that changes these people and changes their decision-making process and their general outlook. And so it, as it did for me, and I, I wanted to see that. Essentially, I think I wrote the book for the person I was going through this. I, I wrote the book I would have liked to have read when I was struggling with fertility and not yet seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. So. I worked closely with Brooke, my partner, on these scenes, and it was very painful to, for her to rehash some of those moments. You know, of course, you know, we have a son now who's three, and it's somewhat easier to, I suppose, look back on it having ultimately been successful than if we weren't. But still, to 
oh, like emotionally relive these moments and put them on paper was something that she was totally on board with and in the room for. And she read every draft of the book and and those scenes were, you know, she's like, this was my experience. You just wrote my experience down. And I thought, well, I hope I, I did it justice because I did not bear the physical brunt of that experience, just shared the emotional one with you. And she said, well, I think this should be out there. I think I'd like to see more of this in the world too, more representations of, of, of infertility and fertility struggles. So yeah, and I, I agreed with her. It was a, a major component to me uh, of this book. You know, it's not on the cover. <laughs> I'm sure some readers are awfully disappointed thinking they're picking up a light summer read and like, wait a second, like, didn't expect the miscarriage to be in the first 10 pages. But in 100 years of the life of a family, there's going to be good and bad. And I didn't want to pull back on either. Oh, well, I'm really sorry that you went through that. That's a beautiful imagery. You with the water. Oh my gosh, breaks my heart. But, <laughs> you know, so many people have gone through journeys and often we have no idea about each other's, you know, what we go through to get to where we are and sharing those little bits. It's very, you know. Yeah, I think it's true, Zippy, and it feels like such an isolating experience. Yeah. You know, and yeah, we, we found an online community. Uh, it was during COVID too, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, people that are going through it as well, people our age, which meant a lot to us too. But yeah, it was, you know, I, I, I forget who originally said it, but most writers put the book they, they they need to have in the world out. And this is the book I needed. My daughter, who's 10, was sitting next to me when I was reading some of this the other day. And she's like, what's it about? And I was like, oh gosh, someone's having a miscarriage. And then I was like, oh gosh, someone's in a car accident. And I was like, she's like, a lot's <laughs> happening in your book. And I was like, I know. <laughs> you definitely. Uh, you. It is immersive from right at the beginning through. And then of course you go back in time and all that. So tell me about writing the structure of this. You had the idea for it and where you wanted to set it and some of the emotional authenticity behind it. But tell me about the act of, of writing it and the different time periods and the characters and all of that. Right. I started with Mario. I wrote each character discreetly. Like I completed each character's story, then moved on to a different character. So I wrote all of Ariel first. And Mario's story has some of the, the lightest and heaviest elements in it. And so I knew I wanted to balance that out with stories that didn't have, well, that story actually has the heaviest element, in it, but I, I knew I needed some uh, push-pull. And so I also realized that in writing Florence through Mariel's eyes, that I was really shortchanging Florence, that, that to see Florence just purely through her daughter's eyes would potentially make Florence, would risk her being a stock comic character. And I, I know and love too many women of a certain age in the Midwest to make any one of them a stock comic character. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's also been done, you know, I, I don't want to add that to the world at, in a, in a literary universe where there's, still to my perception, a paucity of Midwestern voices and representations. I I think well, if I'm going to write a, a, like a working class Midwestern woman of a certain age, I'm going to do her as well as possible. And that meant that I had to write from her point of view. The funny thing is I intentionally, I originally intended to have this book take place over a summer. Mm. You know, like Mariel's story took, takes place over a summer. And I thought everyone is, I'm just going to, when I go to Florence, it'll be Florence's point of view of her sitting in that church and reminiscing about the decisions she made in life that made it there. And I went, wait a second, Florence's chapters are just these huge flashback sheet scenes. It's terrible. Why don't I just make them active? 
That means, oh, that means they got to start him in the 1930s. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden this book that was supposed to take place over one summer in 1996 <laughs> takes place over 100 years. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, best laid plans of any author. But uh, up and up through this book, I've, I've been a pantser more than a plotter. And so I'm surprised when these things uh, <laughs> come up. As a writer, I sit down. I don't know what I'm going to do that day. I think I'm going to change that, actually. It's it, it's it's really hard. <laughs> Like, I don't advise it. Like, if you sit down to write a novel, don't just sit down every day with without a thought in your head and just see what happens. It's like, <laughs> it takes a really long time to write a halfway decent book that way. And and whether or not this book is even halfway de- decent is <laughs> up for grabs. Like, you'd be the judge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least halfway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, halfway Thank deep. you. Thanks, Simi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, go back and tell me about how you got into writing to begin with. Right, right. I'm sorry. I got I'm terribly digressive. I get it from my dad. I got it right to begin with because my mom, my mom uh, was an aspiring writer and a published poet. She always wanted to write a novel. She had gone back to college to complete her bachelor's in English when I was a kid. And that was around the time that I realized how much writing and reading was important to her. I mean, it was academically important to her at the time. She had assignments and two dates and so on but it was also clear that she really loved it that she was going back and doing this as an adult in her 30s because this was important to her and it was something she really loved up until then she'd been a waitress at perkins which is a midwest chain restaurant that jorby's in my book is loosely based on and you know i don't recall her you know coming home from that job like with the sort of (laughs) uh, happiness or general attitude that she displayed when she came home from her undergraduate classes. And I just thought, well, my mom's happy. My mom's loving what she's doing. She's reading and writing. And she already was a big reader and writer. Like there were books everywhere around the house. And, and, um, I, I just thought early on, I thought, you know, if I really want to make my mom happy, I should write something that would really impress her. You know, she was the biggest influence in my life. And, uh, Unfortunately, she passed away, I think, about a about a year or so before I even published my first short story, oh. but 10 years before I published my first novel. And so she didn't live to see any of it. But I had a writing instructor in the early 2000s who was reading the short stories I was publishing and said, you know, once you start writing about things you care about, your work's going to get a lot better. And I thought, well, it's, oh, all right, that hit me right here, but you're, you're, you're not wrong. And I started thinking about what I was ignoring. And addressing it through fiction as opposed to writing around it and writing to mollify myself. You know, I was writing to resolve, not to ignore. And that was a pretty big sea change. And that's when I started thinking, like, I want my mom to be alive. I can't make that happen, but I can put her in my books. And I can communicate with her through my books and put her in my characters. And I've done that ever since. It's like the third time I've almost cried listening to you talk. <laughs> oh my goodness. How did your, can I ask how your mom passed away? Oh, uh, it was cancer. It was uh, omental cancer. Yeah, it's not an organ. I'd heard it before. Oh, the omentum. It's like a omenta. I think it's like a intestinal lining of some kind. Yeah, it's not a vital organ, but it was, it's a large one. It metastasized from her ovaries, but that was the proximate cause of death was omental. And I remember talking to the whoever writes the death certificate, like, what do I put on it? It's cause of death. And I said, Oh, mental, please. Like that needs more research. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and not to, not to d- deny like whatever fraction of attention that my mom's ovarian cancer statistic might've supplied, but I just thought, well, this is a, this is something I'd never heard of. So let's do that. And it was, it was uh, 
in part a result, I think, of her work environment in the 70s and 80s, you know, being a waitress in a smoky building. And so I wrote about that in the new book, too, like uh, the environmental hazards that a lot of women, working class women faced and how those jobs killed them. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm making this book sound really heavy. Uh, uh, Yeah. As as you know, it's not just. Yeah. There there actually is a a fair amount of that kind of like summer getaway vibe to it. But it's it's the whole, you know, I tried to make it the whole package. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Long story short, yeah. My mom's influence, both in terms of her desire to be a writer, her writing, and her life, are in this book. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know, it's funny you say how powerful it is to see your how your mom was happy because I feel like so many parents, a lot of women, a lot of moms, but a lot of parents like are afraid to pursue what they really love. If it takes time away from their kids, if that time is the greatest currency, and then you forget that the modeling of pursuing something amazing can have far lasting effects than just being around. You're absolutely right, Sibby. Fortunately, I had the experience of seeing both my parents do that. My dad returned to college and got his degree in his late 40s. And I thought that was just as cool. Like never, there's there's never, it's never too late to do a U-turn, you know, <laughs> take a 90 degree turn or something, you know, whatever analogy. Yeah. And yeah, and he was a great deal happy. I'd never seen him happier in my life than when he quit his job and told us he was going back to college. You know, I'd never seen that man smile bigger. And th- that's what makes an impression on me. I wasn't thinking at the time like, oh, you just quit your job. What are we going to do? You know, like, how are we going to, like, go on our summer vacations every year? Am I going to get that brand of jeans I want or whatever, you know, material things that a lot of teenagers can be preoccupied with in terms of just day-to-day life? And that just went out the window when I saw his face. I just thought, well, good. This is an overall net and gross positive for our family. Like, to have a happy father is much better than anything that uh, material offering that his former job could have provided. Do you feel like you are a happy father? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel fortunately so. I mean, it's been a stressful year it, that had, it's, that's had nothing to do with parenting. You know, just the circumstances around like, you know, a tree fell on our house and, you know, we're in a rental house up that the insurance company is paying for that has its own issues. And um, I think it's been hard on my son to be displaced. Like he asks, like, when can I see my toys again? And, you know, and stuff like that. It's But he's a versatile, hearty kid, you know, and we sometimes forget that the kids are 
pretty adaptable. Like I think we take it harder than he does. And he's showing us how to how to have a good time every day. And he, you know, and 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 taking him out in the world and just exploring the the world in the neighborhood we're in now is uh is fun. But yeah, I think he got me in a good time. I'm I'm a I'm a far better father present, you know, domestic circumstances aside, vis-a-vis living situation. I'm of I'm in a far better place now to be a dad than I would have been 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago. And you know, much more uh, wiser, more patient, calmer, and much more secure in my career. I feel like I'm I'm really blessed that the timing ultimately worked out when it did. I mean, I guess in a sense we had the had a child the last possible viable biological time we could have, uh, and not without great assistance. Yeah, but uh, oh, God damn it! What a blessing that kid is. You know, it just puts a smile on my face every time I think of him. Oh my gosh. And so when do you get all your stuff done? When do you do your best? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, when he's sleeping. <laughs> yeah. How is this all happening? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much a stay-at-home dad. My uh, partner's a nurse, you know, uh, it's a demanding job and she comes home and she doesn't want, you know, the idea of like being a 100% parent when you come home, it's like, hey, I've been parenting all day. And she's like, good for you. I'm exhausted. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, all right, well, you know, so, so we have nights on and nights off. Yeah. You know, we alternate. We have what we call like divorcee nights, you know, where uh, the calendar is like, hey, like just pretend I'm not here. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the night that the other one can like go up to friends or or do nothing. Just sit on the couch and scroll or read a book or watch Happy Valley or, you know, uh, just, yeah. And so it, 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 it helps that, that it's codified that on any given day, someone is not doing all the work. Yeah. Because it is, it is a lot of work, especially when they're young and, you know, they can't always communicate what they need or want effectively. So yeah, I'm full-time stay-at-home writer. So an awful lot can fall on me. And I therefore have to set up boundaries on certain days where I'm like, oh man, I'm on a roll. I, I know he's up from his nap, but can I keep writing for another hour? You know, we work that out. Yeah. What do you do? Just lock the door? Well, uh, I, I'll go down and say, yeah, I'll just say like, <laughs> yeah, he's he can climb stairs now. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's and open doors. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing, daddy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's interested in it. Like, but he's, his relationship with my writing, I think is really funny. Uh, I mean, it'll evolve obviously, but I kind of like the face that it's in where he sees a copy of my new book around the house and like, this is daddy's book. And he's conflated the notions of, of creation and ownership. So mm-hmm. he's, this is daddy's book and daddy wrote it, but it also belongs to daddy and I must return it to him. Aww. And unfortunately, I, I have more more than a few copies of the book scattered around for various reasons. And and he when he sees one, he has to bring it to me. Like, this is daddy's book. Here you Aww. go, daddy. You know? It's really cute. It's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you working on anything else now? Oh, God, no, not yet. I mean, I started, <laughs> I started writing a new book in January, but then, then when the tree fell on our house, like, I've kind of had to become a project manager when my son's in preschool. And, and that's what I'm going to be doing after this call. I got to drive up to the house and um, supervise the demolition and replacement of the irrigation system. Oh my uh, gosh. Going to go all week. Yeah. That was crushed by a different tree. What? Um, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It, it broke one sprinkler head. So therefore the um, entire irrigation system is being replaced by insurance, which good thing, but it's oh. still, it's, I'm not writing, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I got to be there and make sure it, I know what's happening. 
I, I don't mean to get too in the weeds with all that, but That's yeah, okay. I, I was speaking to a fellow writer named Charmaine, Charmaine Craig, whose house caught on fire a couple of years ago. And she said it wasn't until that whole process was remediated and the house was fixed that she started writing again. She said, don't put pressure on yourself to write when you're displaced from your home and every day is provisional and there's projects happening at your house. And, mm-hmm. you know, like she said, take the pressure off yourself. And I've been trying to do that. But that said, when things are moving along, you know, the drywall's up right now, the roof's back on the house. I think I can, I think I can do it, you know, and he's in preschool and I'm at home and, you know, like, all right, if I can just kind of ease back and maybe, maybe start going on it again. Maybe yeah. the next character will be a contractor. Oh God. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, all this stuff, it just like goes into the thing and then it mixes up and then who knows where it'll come out. Right. Have you ever had an unexpected experience that ended up in in in, in your writing? Have you ever, you know, um, had a similar experience where like I didn't think I'd be writing about this topic or this kind of character, but this thing just happened to me and now I gotta resolve it? I've had stuff that I had long not thought about. Yeah, that comes bubbling up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I guess that was bothering me. <laughs> All oh, these yeah, years right, or something. Right, right. You know? yeah. But maybe not not I don't know. Now I'll be on the yeah. lookout for it. But All right. Yeah. yeah. You too. <laughs> yeah, so it's possible. I can't rule it out. Yeah. You'll never know. Maybe in 20 years. I'll be yeah. back. You know what? And that's Sunday, true. Yeah. Sunday, yeah. Sunday night at the, <laughs> the Stradle residence or whatever. Right, right, right. That's true. Yeah. I'm a little close uh, um, to the blast radius now to, to find it interesting to write about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And wh- why did you move to California? Oh, for work. I came out here to work in the entertainment industry. I had an instructor in college who said he was going to interview me to be his assistant at CBS. I went to college at Northwestern in uh, Evanston. And so I moved out here and I didn't get the job, but um, that's fine. I would have been a lousy executive assistant at a TV network. And as it turns out, my first job in the entertainment industry was an executive assistant at a TV network uh, (laughs) and VH1 for Jane Lipsitz, who figured out in three months what David Zucker knew instantly that I'm not a good assistant, but she um, had the wisdom and kindness to not fire me, but divert me into production. And at the time, VH1 was still a music channel. And I was excited about working in music programming. But while I was there, it evolved into what it is now, which is a reality channel. And I ended up, by dint of that, you end up usually in the entertainment industry, usually the ladder you start out is the one you're stuck on. Mm. So yeah, I ended up working in reality television for 14 years. Thankfully, I got to work on some interesting shows, Deadliest Catch and Ice Road Truckers and Deadliest Roads and Storage Wars probably being my favorite of the that group. Yeah. And I was working on a spinoff called Storage Wars Texas at the time I wrote my first book. Oh, wow. Yeah. I lived in LA in the late 90s and I would wake up early before my job in Studio City and work out to the VH1. They called it like the early morning, whatever it was. Do you know what all yeah, videos. yeah. That, that was always on in the gym in my building, and so yeah. I was. That was what got me through, like every morning when I used to actually make time to work out and all that. Oh. So anyway, BH1, it was like the morning something. It'll come. Yeah, to what was it? Yeah, it'll come to me too. But yeah, yeah. back in the day. Maybe. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book that you're reading now? Oh wow! You know what I? I really am into the Overstory by Richard Powers. Mm-hmm. I read it earlier this year and I'm going to read it again, or at least the first half. I really love what he does in the first half with the uh, diversity of voices and their distinctiveness. That's 
his level of craft that that is what I aspire to. I think Jennifer Egan does it extremely well as well. You know, I want to read her latest book. I loved Visit from the Goon Squad. That was one of the books that influenced me to write Kitchens. Yeah, both in kind of style and format. But yeah, probably the book I'm thinking and talking about the most right now is The Overstory, you know, which is not even Powers' newest book that came out yeah. maybe five, six years ago. But yeah, I'm always looking for books that have different uh, point of view characters and take liberties with narrative structure. Because that's I find that's kind of my default. Or that's, I don't know, I feel like I have such an inclusive sense of the community in my imagination that I just want to hear from a lot of different people. I want everyone's voice to be heard. Very like lowercase d democratic ideals when it comes to narrative. But I also love the unreliability and insularity of the close third voice. And so whenever anyone does like close third alternating POV characters, I'm like, let me edit, you know. Uh, <laughs> what about you? What What about yourself? What are you reading? Oh, I read this book called Saturday Night at the Lakeside. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I heard that as close third alternating point of view. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> this is my nightstand. So, you know, <laughs> anyway, do you have any last question? Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh, wow. I would say don't think about the marketplace. Yeah, I I didn't, you know, for kitchens. I thought, well, you know, I only thought about it in this sense. I thought, a book like Kitchens of the Great Midwest doesn't exist yet, so I better write it. Uh, and then a part of me thought, you know, wait a second. There's never been a novel set within the world of Midwestern food before? Oh, man, I better be the first one. I bet everyone's going to try to write that and fill that hole, you know? And then I thought, wait a second. There's never been a novel set within the world of Midwestern food. <laughs> the New York pushers run screaming from that. You know, it's like <laughs> probably a very good reason for that, like. Like, who, what, who cares about Ludafisk, you know, and uh, on, on the coast, you know, but luckily Pam Dorman did. And, you know, that book set the tone for the rest of my career. And I, I remember just sitting and thinking like, you know what, four people are going to read this book, you know, <laughs> and like it. And I was, I thought like my dad, my grandma, my girlfriend, you know, my brother, and I was wrong. My grandma hated it. Um, <laughs> yeah, older friends, I will never recommend this book to anybody. That said that to me, you know, she's. She's 98. She can say whatever she wants. So, yeah. And she was, yeah, only, only, um, uh, like, <laughs> she was only 90 then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's still a big reader. And, uh, and I felt like, uh, you know what? Yeah. I, most importantly, and it's real quick for context, I'd written a book that'll never see the light of day before then. And so any, any idea of like making a big splash with my debut novel was firmly disabused by that. Mm. I thought, Oh man, Kitchens of the Great Midwest is going to be met with the same chorus of crickets that my earlier manuscript did. So going into it, I had no expectations that anyone's going to care. And uh, it just liberated me to write the book that I I wanted. And it turns out that other people happened to agree with me that they wanted to read it too. And I felt very, very fortunate that that happened. Yeah, it's an incredibly lucky turn of events. <laughs> Well, I hope that your house construction goes okay. And I do have a really good contractor in LA. If you ever get, you know, stranded, just let me oh, know. Oh, wow. Can, wow. Yeah. And, uh, oh, wow. That's so nice to hear. So far, ours is great, but we'll let you know if, okay. uh, you know, if, it's if a hard thing to find. Yeah. Hard to find. You're so. right. You're right. He was, like, <laughs> he was like the fourth one we interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I hope to meet you out there at some point and good luck and take care. And thanks for being so oh. open. Hey, thanks so much, Zippy. Okay. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Outro music. 